we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. We are in part four of Grow Up. This is the final installment of the series, which I'm so happy about, and you're probably happy about it as well. But uh, this has been a fun series for me, and the reason why is it really ties into our mission as a church, which is to guide people into a forward-moving relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why we come here every week is to help you move forward in your faith. And the thing is, and we've been saying it for the last four weeks, is a lot of us are like my uncle who lo- you know, just loves sticking Cheetos up his nose and eating them. Spiritually, we're just in the corner with Cheetos stuck up our nose. And we really want, as a community, as a church, to grow up in our faith and with God. And we've looked at some hard things that James has had to say over the last few weeks. In fact, um, we're going to leave off today where we left off last week. And if you weren't here last week, let me just sum it up in one phrase. Because Jesus' brother, James, gives us this one line or this one idea that we left with last week, and it was this. Own up to grow up. That if we ever want to grow up in life, We have to own it and step on it and admit it. That if we want to free ourselves from us, we have to admit and own up to us. And so last week, if you remember, um, if you participate in the spiritual formation part, the most important part of what we do here on Sundays, I left you all with one question. And you will remember, I told you, I said, I need you to sit with this question with God. I need you to just ask God this question. I also need you to find a mentor, a coach, a teacher, somebody that you trust and love. And I want you to ask them this question as well. Because this is the part that helps us see what we can't see. And we said, hey, what part of me do I need to see? What part of me, you remember this from last week, what part of me do I need to see that I can't see? And if you sent that question out this week, uh, I'm not going to ask how many of you did. I'm just praying that you did because this is a really good question. And I know a lot of our leaders, uh, our staff, were sending this question out to other staff members this week. But we asked this question, what part of me do I need to see that I can't see? And you know when you sent that question, you weren't overly excited about the answers that you were going to get back, right? Nobody likes to be criticized, even if it's constructive criticism, nobody likes to be criticized, unless, and this is so important, this is where we're headed today, unless it's you. See, we are our own worst critic, and when we are our own worst critic, we lose sight of who we are. See, I know this. I get this, right? This is the struggle. This is, every, this is the tension. This is the thing that we wrestle with is that most of us, if I were to sit with you and talk with you, a good majority of us spend a lot of time thinking about and contemplating our worst decisions, our worst attributes, and really our greatest insecurities. We think about these things constantly. I'll just be honest. As a pastor, uh, my role as a pastor, I'm constantly aware of this. Pastoring is a lot like golf. You just do it once a week for a couple hours. 
totally kidding. But it does take me seven days to get ready for this two hours. I mean, to get over the insecurities that I have of just standing up here in front of you every single week. I have to be honest with you. Um, I, Monday, I, have a, I usually have a hangover from church. I call it the church hangover. I get up on Monday mornings all groggy, and I always have this thought, hey, maybe some other competent pastor would be more capable of taking this church where it needs to go. Maybe it's just time, and I've had this thought a lot recently. Maybe it's just time to pass it on to somebody else. I realize that there are many Sundays, every Sunday I get up here, I realize that I'm competing with your favorite pastor, because I know it's not me, right? I know that you're listening to a podcast, you're watching some sermons online, or you're listening to the favorite pastor that you love to listen to on your phone, or the radio. I mean, I don't know who listens to the radio anymore. But, hey, I get it. Moody Radio has some people that you listen to, and you listen to them on the way to work. I can't compete with that, and I know that. And so I'm always trying to make sure that we have something creative and innovative and something groundbreaking, which is nearly impossible to do. So I'm always insecure about, hey, I've got to compete with your favorite pastor. I get that, um, you know, one of the things that was brought up to my attention this week is that I'm, I'm always running ahead of people and I don't communicate with people when I'm running ahead of them. And so like, man, I'm like not aware of that. Like, hey, I got to slow down and I got to make sure that I'm communicating communicating with people. Hey, I'm insecure about the fact that I'm not kind enough, gracious enough, or sometimes I feel like I need to do more so people will like me more, or it feels like a lot of the relationships that I have with people eventually just don't go very well. And so that is my insecurity that I wrestle with every single week. And my guess is as you go through that too, if I were to ask you, what is the tension? What is the struggle for you that you think about constantly in your mind? Some of you would say, I am terrible. I am socially awkward. And because of that, I have no friends. Some of you might even say, not am I only socially awkward, but I can't even keep a conversation going. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who can't keep a conversation going? It is so taxing to try to ask questions over and over and over again. And like, yes, no, yes, no, and you're like, come on, brother, give me some more here. This is not helpful. It's exhausting, right? But maybe you're that person. Maybe you, you don't know what to say or you don't know how to react, and so you don't have a lot of people that hang out with you. Uh, maybe for you, you're insecure about diving into relationships with people. You could be given the perfect person. They could check every single box, and you know that somehow you're going to mess it up. Some of us understand that we want to go to college at a certain place, but financially we can't afford it, and we're insecure about our families, maybe how much money we have and their ability to pay for us to go to school, or if we can afford school, we're insecure about that. Some of us are insecure about just showing up on time. We leave early, and we still can't get here on time. All of us have insecurities that we struggle with, and here's what I know. The more that you wrestle with it, the more you become aware of what you aren't instead of what you are. This is so important. This is what each of us go through day after day after day, is that you are more aware of what you aren't than what you are. And so today we're going to take a break from uh, James, the brother of Jesus, and we're going to dive into a biography written by a guy named Matthew. And I love Matthew's account of Jesus' life because it's not just some words and some stories about the life of Jesus, but Matthew has a scandalous encounter at a tax booth with Jesus. And I love this thought because Matthew is this guy that is constantly under the you aren't. 
You see, this is a guy who had power, he had wealth, he had everything that he could ever want, but yet he was stealing from his own people. And people would look at him and they'd say mean things to him. They'd jeer him and sneer him and make fun of him. They were constantly poking and yelling and screaming at him. And if you were Matthew, you were probably sitting there thinking, you aren't, you aren't, you aren't. I know, isn't that baby so cute? Can we just take a minute? Oh, he is so handsome. The whole congregation is looking right at him. He is so cute. Two weeks old today, by the way. Yeah, he's cute. Glad you're here, Ashley. Thank you. Um, but Matthew is so aware. He's so aware of what he's not. And it's interesting because when he meets Jesus, Jesus totally flips this whole idea of you aren't on his head. In fact, I think this is really how the faith establishment and the religious establishment had worked up to that point, is that it was defined by you aren't. In fact, we still do this today. We're defined by the you aren't. In fact, you have heard it said, right? In Bible times, it goes like this. Thou shalt what? Not. Thou shalt not. And it's all defined by the don't do's, we ought not to's, and you aren't supposed to. And Jesus says, hey, I think we need a different spin on what life is supposed to look like and what faith is supposed to look like. And it's so interesting because when he looks at Matthew, he looks at him and he begins to realize that this is how Matthew has lived his entire life. And he says, hey, let's flip this on its head for just a minute. And he begins to say, I know that you've heard it said you should not, but I tell you, and he says, you are. You are blessed when. And Jesus goes on this long rant about who you are. You are blessed when you. And at the end of that, he sums up this entire big old message from you aren't to you are in these few sentences. And I love it because Matthew writes it. Because Matthew understands how deep, and he makes this connection here. And here's what Jesus says. He says, in a word, what I'm saying to you is, Say it with me now. Grow up. Yes, the whole series. And a word what I'm saying to you is grow up. And then he says this. He says, you are kingdom subjects. You are kingdom subjects. Look to your partner and say, and if you don't have a partner, just shout it out with me here. Look at your partner and say, you are kingdom subjects. You are kingdom subjects. Subjects. This is so important. This is so important, and I'm going to just take a few moments here because this is really an important idea. So often what we hear Jesus say is, one day you will be, or someday you are going to. Instead, Jesus says, no, 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 you are. And this word kingdom often gets associated with heaven, and rightfully so, because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, or Matthew will say the kingdom of heaven is like, and so we think heaven is about someday you will be or someplace that you're going to. And Jesus says, no, 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 the kingdom is you are. And I love this because this is so important. What he's essentially saying is you are a taste. You are a taste of what heaven is like. Because heaven is wherever God is, and God is in you. So you are a taste 
of what heaven is like. Y'all ever gone to the ice cream store and uh, they have a new thing of ice cream that nobody's ever tried before? And you say, you know, especially if you go to Baskin Robbins, they give out free samples like it's their day job. But what do they do? They hand you that wooden spoon. They kind of dip it. You are the wooden spoon of heaven. You are responsible for giving people a taste of what God is like. The best way I can relate is this. Um, I love coaching my boys' soccer team. I help coach. I'm not the coach. Um, David and I both help coach. We just are two handsome guys that stand on the sideline. We know nothing about soccer. We just encourage the kids. We're like the glorified water boys, except, you know, almost 40 now. So it's a lot of fun. But here's what I've noticed. You will have these kids, and you've watched this if you've had kids to raise kids. You will notice that there are the kids who aren't athletic. And these are the ones that kind of stand back in the back and they're always looking around. The ball goes by them and they're not paying attention. They're, you know, hop in la-la land and they're thinking about some, you know, cartoon character or comic books or whatever they want to think about. And they just could care less. Like, why am I here? I don't know what a ball is. Uh, I don't know why my parents even signed me up for this, but they just don't care. But what's interesting, and David would attest to this, is you start putting people who are not very athletic up in the front because we want everybody to score a goal. And if they almost score, it's like they get a taste of what winning is like. And they go from the, being these disengaged, I don't care, why in the world did my parents sign me up, to these all out, I'm fully in it, don't mess with me messy kind of people. They are like, I'm in this to win it. And they begin to embody it, they begin to live it, and they begin to find themselves. And we would define them, and we would say, you are a winner the minute they get that goal. You are, because you've got a taste of what winning is like. And Jesus says, you are kingdom subjects. And Matthew understands that this is so important, because we often are so defined by what we aren't. And then Jesus dives right in. He doesn't take a break. He just says this. He says, because you are kingdom subjects, he says, live like it. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Now, this is the point where we all sort of like tune out. Because this is the part where I'm supposed to tell you you're supposed to do something and you know that you're supposed to do it and we just all don't do it anyway, you know. So we just kind of zip over this part. But let me just say this. Many of you know that I'm an Ohio fan everything. I love the Buckeyes. I love the Bengals. I love the Reds. And um, I'm just a huge Ohio, you know, everything. I love Ohio everything. But growing up, I was a Chicago Bulls fan. Yes. Come on. Let's cheer for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, Larry. Come on, buddy. And uh, I can remember every summer, every summer morning, I would get up and I would turn on ESPN. It's so funny. Uh, side note here, um, this week my, my, uh, we got a chance to go to the Cubs game. That was pretty cool. Somebody gave us tickets because they knew the head umpire, and the head umpire gave them tickets, and we got to sit right behind home plate. Not only that, but we got to go out in the field and meet him, and he gave us baseballs. And we got pictures with this guy from New York who was the last strikeout of the game. How cool. Um, but I remember we're sitting there, and there was an awesome play, a diving play, and Carter goes, he says, Dad, that's going to make it on YouTube. <laughs> Not ESPN. 
But I remember growing up, I was a huge Bulls fan, and I loved watching ESPN because of this guy. You know this guy? Michael Jordan. That's right. I could not wait to get up in the morning to see what dunked, to see what moved, to see what shot, you know, he had made. I mean, it was always exciting. And what was so fun as a kid was to go out and to try to be like Mike. We would lower the rims and we'd dribble through our legs and we'd stick out our tongue and we'd do the fadeaway shot. And of course, we'd try to jump from the foul line. But if you're like me, you'd get like two feet and not even close. And so it was just, you know, but we spent a lot of time trying to do what Mike would do. In fact, there was a whole Gatorade commercial. You remember this? I want to be like Mike. I was going to show you the commercial, but I'm, I'm just saving it because you've already watched it. And so if we wanted to dunk, if we wanted to dribble, if we wanted to shoot, if we wanted to look like that, then we had to drink Gatorade. So we all drank Gatorade. We just did whatever Mike did. But then there's this interesting phenomenon, right, that's taking place. Um, we've gone from wanting to be like Mike to branding Mike. It's funny, uh, Ron told me this morning, he looks at Sammy and he says, you know, Sammy loves to stick out his tongue. It's so cool. And he says, you want to be like Michael Jordan, don't you? You know, and Amy from, you know, the Grassy Knoll says, she says, uh, Dad, he's just a pair of shoes. Now, Ron didn't know I was preaching this message, but this is what I had written down. We've gone from wanting to be like Mike to branding Mike. If you have any kid and they're wearing Jordans, you walk up and you say, hey, I like your Jays. And they say, you know, you say, who is Jordan, by the way? They're like, I don't know, some guy who makes really cool shoes because it makes me feel cool when I wear them. And in fact, I've just titled this part of the message, Jesus and Jordans. Because I think we treat Jesus no differently. That Jesus, over time has just become a brand that we wear to make ourselves feel better about who we are. Like I, th- I find it interesting when people say faith is boring, Jesus is boring, I don't really care what he said, I don't need to look at the stories in his, of his life. But, but if we do, we will quickly find that there were people who found his life cap- captivating, and not only that, but they lived like Jesus. And because they lived like him, We are still here today, 2,000 years later. Because people decided that they were going to live like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, not an Egyptian, um, they decided to live like Jesus. This movement took hold. And it's amazing that we are still here because of that. But the church is like a pair of Jordans. See, I think we are more committed to the brand, which I'll call sometimes church, than we are to Jesus. You know how I know that? I mean, just take away your, by the way, your favorite pastor that you listen to on a podcast or you watch online that has a church of like 20,000 or 10,000 or whatever it is. Take that pastor out of the church and watch what happens to it. Just watch the week that they're not preaching and somebody else steps up to the plate. Let me know if you'll listen to that podcast. I think it's even more interesting when, when, when you know, you, you, you start over and you do something new and you start a new church and you take somebody's church away and what happens? Nobody sticks around. Or you'll hear people say this. They'll say, uh, I know that I need to, what, get back to church. Nobody ever says to me, I need to get back to Jesus. And we have more of a relationship with a brand or a church 
that we just kind of put on that makes us feel better about who we are. And yet we don't even dive in and fully understand who this guy is. I think we do this in Nazarene world. Hey, for those of you who've been, you know, part of the Nazarene denomination your entire life, nobody who is unchurched knows what a Nazarene is. When you say, I'm Nazarene, they look at you like you drink Kool-Aid. I'm, I've had people say, why did you name your church Church of the Nazarene? And, you know, it's a long explanation, but we have become like a pair of Jordans. That our church initially started with people who lived like Jesus. They lived in L.A. They worked with people who were addicted. They had worked with people who were, you know, um, struggling. I mean, when everybody else was leaving the city, they stayed in the city and they helped the poor and the marginalized. And over time, I don't know, somewhere around the 50s, 60s, maybe 70s, suddenly it became about a bunch of you aren'ts. Oh, we don't do that, and we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we don't do this. And we forget that we started with living like. That we were defined by what we did. And here's what I know. When you forget who you are, you will try to live like everyone else. Come on, you know this, right? When, when you forget who you are, you look to other people in order to give you direction on who you should be and what you should do. This is why we have mentors. This is why we have coaches. This is why we have friends. This is why we have, uh, you know, people that we listen to in order to help us better parent, you know. This is why uh, we have uh, actresses and actors that we follow. We follow all these different people because woven into us, woven into your heart and your mind and your soul and my heart and my mind is this need to be like and to live like. And when you forget who you are, you will live like everyone else. And Jesus says, hey, I need you to hear this. You are kingdom people. You are a taste of heaven. So live like it. And I know that you're so studious, so you're asking me, how do we do that? And Jesus knows that we, you know, are going to ask that question. And so he says, hey, if you want to be kingdom subjects, if you want to live like Jesus lived, he says, live generously and graciously to others. Those are two words that we often don't find in our vocabulary. Live generously and graciously Toward others. And then he continues, he says, Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Yeah, thanks, Sandy. I think part of our Jordan branding of the church and the greatest detriment to who we are as a community. is that we have amnesia. Um, 
I remember as a student leader when I was a youth pastor, um, a lot of my leaders were people who, you know, were addicted previously. They were divorced previously. Um, some of them had kids, you know, way before they were married. Some of them even in high school. In fact, there was a young lady who had, uh, she was one of our leaders, and she had a kid uh, when she was in high school, and she was a part of the church that I was a youth pastor at. And then growing up, the church surrounded her. They loved her. They didn't judge her or tell her, you know, hey, you're going to hell. They just said, hey, we understand things happen. We get that, but we love you and we want to walk next to you. And they were generous and gracious with her. And she became a follower of Jesus. And eventually she became one of our leaders. And I thought, what an opportunity for this young lady to connect. But ironically, like Christianity has this way of cleaning us up and making us forget about how broken we once were. And it was funny because she was taking a student home one night and the student begins to reveal to her a lot of the things that she's going through. In fact, some of the things were the exact same things that she went through. And I remember she called Janelle and she said, I can't believe this young lady. Like almost like, and I got to be, you know, kind of gracious to her. Like this is what happens to us when we become Christians over time. We begin to look at other people and we, we, we forget to find ourselves in other people. In fact, you know, she was just telling Janelle, I can't believe that this girl would do this. Why would she think like that? Why would she behave like that? That's just crazy. And I remember she was so caught off guard by it that she almost thought about quitting as one of our leaders. And I think we tend to forget how good God is to us. I think that we after 20, 30 years of being a Christian, tend to forget the moment God met us when we were broken and all jacked up. And the reason why Jesus says this is he says, I want you to remember what it was like when I met you. And that's how I want you to live to other people. This is why Matthew writes this. This is why Matthew finds it so important because he remembers sitting there thinking what a horrible person he was. You aren't, you aren't, you aren't. And for somebody to come up to him and say, you are, changed Matthew's life. And Matthew not only followed and not only wrote one of the greatest accounts of Jesus' life, but I bet if you followed him, he was a part of why we're here today because he lived graciously and generously to people around him. So here's what I want you to know today. Live like how God lives toward you. I know that's what Matthew said. I can't say it any better. So there you go. Live like how God lives toward you. I wonder what it would look like for us to be generous and gracious people. When we're at school and we have those people that nobody wants to be around, what would it look like for us to be generous and gracious? At your workplace, when people are frustrating you or you have a deadline and they're not helping you, oh, little guy, what would it look like for you to be gracious and generous? I just wonder as a church, what would it look like for us to be gracious and generous to each other? I mean, we are broken people. I don't know if you know that. We still make mistakes. We're still messed up. I make mistakes. I do things wrong. You know, I say things that I shouldn't, just like you do. 
And at the end of the day, what if we were actually gracious and generous with each other? You see, instead of thinking that I want the best for you or I had bad intentions or I think that you had bad intentions or you wanted the worst for me, what if we just said, and this is one of our staff practices, when in doubt, have mercy and assume the best. Somebody sends you an email, like you don't understand the tone, but our immediate thought is to go to, oh, that was negative, that was rude, it was mean. What if we just said, I can understand where they're coming from. Can we practice that? I mean, I gotta be honest, in the next few uh, weeks and months, we all need to be gracious and generous to each other as we plant this church. Things are moving and shaking and changing and things don't go as planned and then they do and then they don't and we just all have to be gracious to each other. But there's something important that I want you to do this week. This is the most important part of the message, just like last week. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hear this. This week, when I sent out the question, what part of me do I need to see? Um, I sent it to all my staff and I sent it to all my board because I want to know in my leadership what they see in me that I can't see. And it was so interesting because um, Jill, our children's director, she texts me back and I'm thinking, here we go. It's going to come in. Like, I'm, you know, I got to prepare myself. I'm taking deep breaths. And she says... I don't know where to start. This is really hard. But she says, you are. And this is where she started. She said, you are good at connecting people to hope. You are good at leading people into a future. She said, you are a good husband a good father, a good leader. She says, you are somebody who owns up to the things that they're not, the shortcomings. And I spent the majority of the message reading what I was and not what I wasn't. The you are's outweighed the you aren't. In fact, she said, this is really hard and there's only one. And she gave me one and it was so helpful. But the fact that she started it with you are changed everything for me. So this is what I want you to do this week. Part two of what part of me do I need to see is I want you to go back to God. I want you to go back to the people that you asked this question to last week. And I want you to ask the same question, but not what you need to own up to. I want you to ask, say, what part of me do I need to see? Because I'm my own worst critic and I can't see who God sees me to be. And so if you're on the receiving end of somebody asking you, hey, what part of me do I need to say? You start it with, that's right, Ron, you had it up there. You start it with, you are. And here's what I want you to do. This is so important to tie it back full circle to the beginning of what Jesus says. The moment, just like Jill did to me, when she said, you are this, you are, you are, you are. What she did was saying, hey, this is how, Brad, you live into. This is how you live like. This is how you are a taste of what heaven is like to the people around you. And so when you ask that question and you respond, you are, you are telling somebody 
how they live like Jesus, how they are heaven to the people around them. So yeah, Ron, put that up back up there one more time. You are is where you are thriving and living like Jesus to the world. Can you do that with me this week? Will you send out that question? Will you send out that very question to people who love you, who know you, and who can speak hope into your life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to grow over the last four weeks. Uh, It's been fun. It's been difficult. But we see that you call us to live in places that are thorny and uncomfortable and difficult. You help us understand that we need to own up to our mistakes and our faults. But at the end of it, where we need to grow up the most is understanding that you tell us who we are. That we are the good and beautiful. That we are taste of heaven. And so I pray this week, Lord, that we would be encouraged in our lives and our spiritual growth. We would be encouraged by people's words to us and that we would begin to see this is the gift that you've given us to live like you to the people around us. So Lord, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.